your Bible open to uh, Romans 13, I trust. We're going to be wrapping up the chapter, chapter 13, and really it's wrapping up a section that includes both chapters 12 and 13 together. So let's just do a, a brief recap. As Christians, our identity and purpose are profoundly shaped by the gospel. In God's mercy, He has redeemed us through Christ. We've already celebrated that this morning, that Christ paid the price for our sin. He purchased us for Himself so that we are no longer given over to our sin. We are now fully devoted to Him. You could say in another way, because Christ died as a sacrifice for us, now we are to be living sacrifices given over to God. That means we should not be conformed to this world, though we still live in it, naturally, This world is a place where battle lines are drawn, good versus evil. And as we abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, we show our genuine love for God and for people. As we saw at the beginning of chapter 13, what we just read, one way to show which side we're on in the cosmic battle between good and evil is by living a law-abiding life, doing what is right and good in our society. So that governing governing authorities who are fair-minded, even if they're not believers, who operate according to God's justice, praising what is good, punishing what is evil, will have nothing against us, and we will have nothing to fear from them. So, does that mean we're just supposed to keep our head down and our nose clean? You know, giving, giving status, uh, tacit support to the status quo? No. What we have in Christ is a call to a radically countercultural kind of life under God's authority. We are called to love people and to do what is right, to do what is good. And that's what we're going to see this morning at the end of Romans 13. We'll pick up where we left off reading just a moment ago. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is God's word for us this morning. And to connect the first part of the chapter to these last two paragraphs at the end, here's our our theme for today. Even better than law-abiding is loving your neighbor and living in the light. That's not too complicated, right? Uh, One paragraph on love, one on light, three points each. So here we go. Love. It's what you owe each other. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, This can't mean we should have no other obligations because in the previous verse, verse 7, he he just said, you do owe taxes, revenue to the government, you do owe respect, honor to officials. So is Paul shifted to some, you know, giving financial advice like like Dave Ramsey, you know, don't don't take on any debt. Good advice, not the point. 
Uh, you need to see verses 7 and 8 together. Verse 7 begins, pay to all what is owed to them. And it's by paying what you owe that you, verse 8, owe no one anything. There's two sides of the same coin. Or as the uh, NIV uh, translation puts it, let no debt remain outstanding except to love each other. So yes, you are supposed to pay, be paying on this debt. Uh, not like, oh, sorry, I, I'll, I'll owe you. I'll take a rain check on loving you today. No, no. You are supposed to be paying on this debt, but you never come of this obligation. Now, if, if, if we were talking about a financial uh, debt, it, this would be very discouraging, right? Uh, do you ever have a loan that you just couldn't seem to pay off? Uh, we're talking in our uh, wider culture about you know massive student loans uh, that, that from college. Maybe you've maxed out credit cards. Uh, you feel like you just can't ever get ahead. A, a debt that you feel like you're always paying seems like a burden that you'd love to be free of, right? Who wouldn't love to be able to say, I don't owe anyone anything. Cut up the credit cards, burn the mortgage, Great, except you can't do that when it comes to loving other people. You never get to the end of it. In Luke 10, Jesus was talking to a man about the obligation that we all have from Scripture that we have to love God and love neighbor. And the other guy, being a lawyer, uh, was looking for loopholes. He, he says, he asked Jesus, and okay, I have to love my neighbor, so who is my neighbor? Do you remember this story? As if to sort out, okay, so who is it that I have to love? Who can I just safely not bother with? Jesus told a story to give the answer. You probably know the story. It's a, we call it the Good Samaritan. The answer to who is my neighbor is whoever is in your path who is in need. Now, that, I don't know about you, but that, that parable is always convicting to me, right? Because... I have to ask myself, when I see other people in my path, in my neighborhood, at the grocery store, at the rec center, frankly, people who just walk in the door at, at, at the office, I mean, people are walking in my path, am I like, ah, and, and, and truly, everyone is in need in some sense, right? Some people, it's, it's a little more obvious, it's a little more, little more presenting in terms of like, oh, I've got this big problem, but really... Every person that's in your path is a person of need, a person walking right in front of you. Is, is, is my instinct, is your instinct to, to walk to the other side of the road, to look the other way because, hey, it's not my problem, to leave them in their need because I've got places to go. My life is about my time, my money, my personal agenda, my freedom to do what I want and not be bothered by you people. And doesn't, sadly, doesn't our culture, our technology encourage that kind of attitude? When I can shop, order food, get something entertaining to watch, and without having to deal with any other human being, it's kind of nice. Yeah? Sure makes life a lot easier. And we start to think less like Jesus and more like the world. Hey, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can do my own thing, right? Why can't we all just mind our own business? except we have a God-given obligation to love other people. We should feel God prompting us, God's love compelling us, so that when we see people, we pray, 
Lord, I know you want me to love them. You, you came for me when I was in your path and in need. You came for me. You didn't cross on the other side. Lord, I know you want me to love them like you do. Show me how to do it. Help me to do it now. I, I need to be praying those prayers. Love, it's what you owe. Second, love, it's how you fulfill the law. So verse 8, again, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another person has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of all God's commands that deal with how you treat other people, you shall love your neighbor as yourself sums it all up. Now, there are other commands, of course, about how you deal with God, how you relate to God, but these are the commands that relate to how you deal with other people. Love your neighbor as yourself sums it all up. I mean, think about it. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to sleep with his wife or her husband. Now, again, you're supposed to love your spouse in in that way to prevent that, but also thinking about loving your neighbor for the moment. Loving your neighbor, you're not going to sleep with his wife or her husband. You're not going to steal his money. You're not going to, certainly not going to take his life. Um, you're not, you will not covet. You will, you're not even going to obsess over their stuff. Um, if you care about the Joneses, instead of trying to keep up with them, you won't be upset if their stuff is a little nicer than yours. You, you care about them as people, not, just, not as competition. Now, this isn't complicated. Love. Love is shorthand for all the right ways that we should treat other people. But this should get our attention, I think, in another way, especially if you've been going all the way through the, Paul's letter to the Romans with, with us. Paul seemed earlier in the letter to be so negative toward the law, that is, the law that God gave to Israel through Moses. So why does he mention four of the Ten Commandments as he tells Christians what we're supposed to do? What's, what's going on? I thought we left the law behind back in you know, early, those earlier chapters. Well, the question is, if uh, if, if, if the question is, what do I have to do so that I am accepted by God and not condemned at the final judgment? The answer is not, Paul makes very clear, the answer is not keep the law. Just, just keep the Ten Commandments. A lot of people think that's the answer. How do I get right with God? How do I get welcomed into his heavenly kingdom? Just keep all the rules and you'll be okay. That's, Paul says, no, that's not it at all. I hope it's been very clear throughout our whole service that it's about what Christ has done for us. God's law is not a ladder by which you can gain salvation as if you could make all those steps. The, the law is more like a measuring stick, but you will never be able to, to sort of sidle up against it, stand up to the stick and say, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. No, actually, What the law does is shows you how far short you have fallen. That's what the law does. But praise God, though we could not be justified through works of the law, we can be justified through the finished work of Christ, which we receive by faith as a gift of God's grace. That's the good news that we've been celebrating throughout this service. But Even though we have been saved by grace, not works, grace does not make us a lawless people. That's also been a theme through this letter. We are still obligated to obey God and do what He wants. 
This is what Paul writes to believers in another letter, Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are free not to do whatever we want. Free to obey God, free to love people. And he goes on to say that in that chapter, Galatians 5, that love is a fruit of the Spirit, God's Spirit at work in your life. So if you live by the Spirit and not merely by the law, then you will end up fulfilling the law after all. Better than merely being a law-abiding person, you can get at the heart of God's law when you live by the Spirit and love other people. And I hope that encourages you to, to do that, to extend yourself in love to others. It's what you owe each other. Love is how you fulfill the law. Third, love is how you overcome evil. Now, if you're paying attention, you're like, wait a minute, did, did he just jump back to chapter 12? Yes, I did. Chapter, the, the last verse of chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, and I'm making that connection because uh, verse 10 in chapter 13 makes that connection. See, the word translated wrong here, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does no wrong. That's the same uh, word as evil in verse 21 of chapter 12. And chapter 12, 17, that says, do not repay evil for evil. Instead of responding to the evil that people do to you with more evil in return, as if, well, that's how you're going to win. No, no. If you only do more evil, you will be overcome by evil. The only way you overcome evil is with good by doing good, by loving your neighbor. Love does no wrong. Love does no evil to a neighbor. And that same good versus evil thing is in the first part of this chapter, chapter 13, when he says we should do good in the sight of authorities. If you do wrong, same word, evil, if you do evil, be afraid. God, he carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, on the evil doer. It's the same word here in verse 10. Now, okay, right, that's a lot of dots. It's one thing to see all the dots. How do they connect? And what picture do they create? All right? The, pic, the Christian who does not simply live as a law-abiding citizen, but moves in love toward his neighbor, even if or when that neighbor mistreats him, that Christian has not succumbed to evil. He's living in victory over evil. Loving your neighbor is overcoming evil with good. That's how, it, that's how that big thing... <laughs> This, this world of good and evil, this cosmic battle, good and evil forces and all the things that are going on in the world and, and hurricanes and wars and, and governments, and what, it comes down to you and your neighbor. At, at some level, it comes down to you and your neighbor across the driveway. Will you love your neighbor? That's how evil is overcome with good. You want to know how you can make a difference in the world? There, there's a lot of things that you can do politically, socially, a lot of causes you can get behind, a lot of organizations you can donate to or volunteer to be a part of. And, and I'm sure that those include, many of those things include ways you can do good, like this passage tells us to. But let me encourage you to start in the simplest way possible, by loving the people around you in the name of Jesus. What would happen 
if all those who claim the name of Christ did this intentionally, proactively, clearly for Christ and his glory. It won't be as easy as writing a check or sharing a post on social media, but it will make a real difference in people's lives and in God's economy. God will be pleased. Even better than law-abiding is loving your neighbor and living in the light. So let's move on to the next part, living in the light. Light. It's when you wake up. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let's stop there for the moment. Now, I'm sure we've got some morning people here today. You know who you are. You just hop out of bed when the alarm goes off. Or maybe some of you are like some people I know, that they're, they're lying awake already waiting for the alarm to go off because they just can't, can't wait to get up. Man, what about night people? I know some of you are out there. You have to force yourself to go to bed at midnight because you can always think of some other thing to do. But then morning is like zombie time. Uh, even when it, especially this time of year when it's getting darker and darker in the morning, like, oh, come on. Uh, now, you know, of course, that Paul's not talking about that kind of thing. This is a metaphor, and, and, it, might, and it might take us a little bit of a moment to follow him. On one hand, it seems real simple, but, I mean, we understand darkness is evil and, and the light is, is good. Okay, sure. Um, but how does that make sense when he says the night is far gone? I mean, aren't we still living in a time of evil, in a world of darkness? Uh, okay, Paul is giving us some pointers in that second sentence of verse 11 where he says, uh, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So, okay, so two, two markers here. Salvation in this context refers to Christ's return, final judgment, eternal glory, when, God will, when Christ will return to deliver his people right? That's the sense of salvation. Christ will come to deliver his people. And then, but then also he talks about when you first believed, when you personally put your faith in Christ. And so that was sometime in the past for you. Uh, Christ's return is still sometime in the future, and this is the now in which we live, waiting for Christ's return. And even though uh, Jesus uh, didn't come back in Paul's lifetime, Paul calls Christians to live in constant expectancy. He, and even though it's been now nearly 2,000 years since Paul wrote this, it's truer than ever. Jesus' return is closer now than it has ever been. I'm thankful for that. Of course, we still don't know how, how long that's going to be. Put it all together. The night is far gone. It doesn't refer to evil being over in this world. That means that as a believer, you should have moved out of the dark by now. It's time to, to wake up. That, that's the, that the darkness is part of the life that you have said you've left behind. It's time to wake up from that sleep, that, that comfortable, warm place that you're, oh, you're just so used to that, that way of life, that way of thinking, because you've lived there so long, and it's warm. And, and, and coming out into a new life in Christ is, woo, it's a little bracing, but you've you got to get there. You should have left that life of sin behind you. But some Christians are tempted when the alarm clock goes off to hit snooze and roll over. You know it's time to wake up. Jesus is coming soon. That day is at hand. That day is, is right around the corner. 
Are you still sleeping? Now, there are a lot of voices in our time right now that are calling you to wake up. Some people want to convince you of various government conspiracies that are going on. Some want you to, want you to get woke on various social issues. And not taking anything away from the truth and from justice, not taking anything away from that, there, but there are, real, there are real problems in the world that need to be dealt with. But Christian, here's the thing for you and me that Paul is, is pressing in on right now. Whether you are comfortable and complacent in your own little world, the, the way things used to be in your life before Christ, or wh- whether you are, are out there and you're excited about some uh, acti- uh, activist cause or whatever, we cannot afford to lose sight that the day is coming. The day is at hand. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's tomorrow. And it's nearer now than we first trusted in Christ. We need to wake up and live in the light. Wake up, folks. And, and be attentive to all those issues and all those things and all those challenges that are pressing on in your faith. Yes, there, there are things that you need to wake up about in the world. But it starts with waking up to, well, the kinds of things that he's going to continue to tell us about. So it's going to be clear what Paul means by waking up, living in the light as we go th- through these next few verses. So light, it's, it's when you wake up. Light, it's what you put on. Verse 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Now, again, with the mixed metaphors here, I expect them to say, cast off the works of darkness, put on the deeds of light, right? If that was strictly parallel. And, and yes, all these through all these chapters, he does want us to do good, to do uh, Good works, what is right, we could say deeds of light. But armor here gives us a different perspective to the picture. Armor is about preparation for battle. It's about protection in war. And in some sense, before we jump into the action, doing the good that we're supposed to do, here's some equipment that we need to go into battle. Okay, so what is the armor of light and how do you put it on? Well, listen to what Paul says in another letter we looked at last summer, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 through 8. He says to to Christians, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day, Christ's return, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, which um, talks about the armor of God as well. Now, without going into all of those passages, passages in detail, what does the shield represent? What is the breastplate and so on? The armor of light, as Paul talks about here, is the armor that pertains to your new life in Christ, which is why you can say in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting on the armor of light is, is, just, is just equipping yourself with all that you have in your new life in Christ. So it's not just cast off the works of darkness and try to be a good boy or girl. It's not just about good behavior, a new kind of life, though it certainly is. 
It's about making sure that you start with God's power at work in your life, which you have in Christ. God's calling that gives you purpose and mission as you bear Christ's name. God's promises that carry you through the hard times and on to victory because Christ has walked this path before you and he has triumphed, though he had to suffer first. That's the only way that you're going to survive this world as it is in its darkness. You need to put on, put on the armor of light, put on Christ. Now, I suppose we could say that uh, it would be a great thing to say in a sermon, hey, we need to wake up every day and put on the armor of light, suit up for battle every day, get in the word and get your head straight, pray, knowing you're going to face Satan's lies and traps, make this day every day a day of knowing and following Christ. Now, I would love for you to, to do that, and that, that's good, a good word. But, but Paul doesn't really give us that perspective, like every day do this. He's, he's calling us to make a decisive move here, a decisive move now. The, the hour has come. It's time to wake up. You, you believe sometime in the past, Christ's return is sometime yet in the future, it, it may very well be today, tomorrow, we don't know. So now is the time to cast off the works of darkness, to put on the armor of light. And that's not only what you put on. The light is not only what you put on. The light is how you walk. Verse 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, I could have made these, these last three parts. Get up, get dressed, get going, right? But, but how you walk is important. Not just get going, that you need to get going, but how you walk is important. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Light is how you walk having cast off the works of darkness from the previous verse. What are the works of darkness? He lists here. There are many more that Paul could have listed. He does elsewhere in his letters. He, here he gives just three pairs. And the word translated as orgies is not sexual in nature. It's just wild partying, revelries, other uh, translations use, which goes, of course, naturally with drunkenness. So wild partying, revelries, and drunkenness, uh, immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy, all those three pairs, okay? Now, don't write this off because perhaps you've reached a certain age where uh, you don't get invited anymore to wild parties uh, with a lot of alcohol and hookups, and you're like, that's, you know, that's not my scene anymore. Um, don't, don't write this off. Um, some, some of us are, are there. Uh, I, I shouldn't go too quickly past that. Some of us are there. Some of us are not. But all of us might get pulled into uh, this kind of lifestyle in less conspicuous ways, a media personality from a, a generation ago said, said this, television is an invention that permits you to be entertained in your living room by people you wouldn't have in your home. Television is an invention. You could, we could put the internet and smartphones in there as well. All these things are inventions that permit you to be entertained in your living room by people you wouldn't have in your home. Now, so who are you hanging out with on your screen? I mean, I, I hope you trust you understand, yes, parties and, and uh, uh, certain 
uh, bar scenes, whatever. Yes, that's all handled in here. But, but who are you hanging out with on your screen? What, what kind of lifestyle does it seem that you are searching for? Who are you following? Who are you watching and imitating? Is it darkness? Is it darkness? Now, especially for our young people, but still, again, for all of us, there is always the allure of life without constraints. And this, Satan whispers, this is the good life. No submission, no sacrifice. I don't want any obligations to God, to the authorities, to a spouse, to my kids, to a boss. I just want the freedom to indulge and enjoy myself. But verse 14 again, instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What kind of life are you making provision for with the people that you hang out with online or in real life? Because what you are stocking your shelves with, that's, or, what, what, or essentially what you are putting on, uh, that's another way. Again, armor is a certain kind of provision, right? It's a certain kind of preparation for what you expect to do and the kind of situations you expect to experience. Uh, another, you could provide for yourself in other ways that says, yeah, I'm not into that. I'm just seeking my own pleasure. I'm seeking my desires, not God's desires. But put on Christ and make provision. We could flip it around. Make provision instead for holiness. Prepare to live a life of purity, of self-control, of godliness. Not what your flesh wants, but what God's Spirit in you wants. The world tells you that if you put on Christ, you will be too constrained, too limited, not free to have fun. Are are you worried about being too constrained when you go rock climbing? You you need freedom of movement, yes, but you also need a harness. When it's a matter of life and death, that harness makes all the difference. When When it enables you both to face danger safely and reach the peak. That's what the harness does for you. And that's the kind of constraints that set you The world's freedom, to bring this back around to an earlier topic, the world's freedom does not lead to love. See, it goes hand in hand with that third pair, quarreling and jealousy. And you're like, oh, no, no, we're uh, revelries and drunkenness, uh, free sex. I mean, that that leads to fun and enjoyment and happiness, and and we all get along and we have a good time. No, no. But you see, that only works for a short time because if you are pursuing a life where your only rule is to indulge your every desire, at some point, your commitment to you means leaving your friends behind, means leaving your spouse behind, means leaving your kids behind, means leaving your church behind, which means leaving Christ behind. Christian, to live in the light is to live in love because of Jesus. Love for God, love for people, not just the people who are like you or the people who like you, but all people. And this means 
that the governing authorities will see you as law-abiding, but God calls you to more than law-abiding. Calls you to love and to light. Brothers and sisters, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that everyone here, I pray for myself that we would hear the wake-up call to leave behind the old comfortable ways of sin, to put on Christ, to live in your light, to live in your strength, to live with your love, Oh, God, thank you for loving us when we did not love you first. Lord, lead us into this world. Lead us into the battle of good versus evil, not by attacking people, but by loving them in your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.